October, Friday the 13th, 1989, Jimmy Wade Martin's body was found on a street in the small town of Bonterre, Missouri. When there are witnesses, a murder weapon, and a taped confession, how exactly does a murder become a cold case? This case has not ended by any stretch of the imagination. A lot of people in that town's not going to. You know, talk. rumor has it it was big brawl, big bar fight. County jail. We have been working so hard on this. I can't be silent anymore. You know, like you know that guy that got killed here last night. There was rumors going around like the next day. We started doing a lot with Facebook. The question is, what happened to Jimmy Wade Martin? From Blueburn Productions. This is Small Town Forgotten. I'm your host, Chris Halsey. We had a listener comment on one of our channels that isn't the simplest answer, usually the right one. Occam's Razor, or the Law of Parsimony, as the theory is called. It states that when presented with a question, you should choose the answer with the least amount of assumptions. The obvious answer, you could say. So in Jimmy Wade Martin's murder case, the simplest answer is that David Brian White did it, right? Because he was the one who was arrested for the crime, he was the one who admitted to having a weapon that night, and that weapon was found near Jimmy's body. But to me, there's nothing simple about a stranger coming into a town and accidentally killing someone he doesn't know, and then not being convicted for it. I would argue that a simpler answer would be that Jimmy Wade was killed by someone he knew. At the time of the murder, the Bureau of Justice had announced that 80% of murder victims knew their killers. Now that's a large percentage, and deserves some consideration at least. But let's learn about David Brian White. This 24-year-old man who had, whether you believe he did it or not, you have to agree, had been in the wrong place at the wrong time on that night. This has really troubled me for years now. For years, it just drove me nuts. Um, they knew. Two people were arrested for the murder of Jimmy Wade Martin the weekend he was killed. One of them was dismissed in the subsequent days, and the other, David Brian White, was dismissed three years later. A local newspaper article from 2007 stated that the charges against David Brian White were dropped because the prosecuting attorney felt there were problems with the evidence in the case that could not be overcome. In episode 2, we shared the transcript from David Brian White's interview with the police from 1989. And in this episode, I want to share with you another transcript. Unfortunately, at this time, we cannot reveal the name of this person of interest who spoke with the police. And, as always... We'll have to beep out any additional names when the actors read them from the transcript. Before we get into it though, I want to point out a couple of things that we have learned from previous episodes. First, in the police report, a witness had stated that three men had been chasing David Brian White, and in David Brian White's police interview, he also stated that three men were chasing him. Second, in David Brian White's police interview, he stated that one of the men chasing him had a baseball bat and that he didn't pick up the timber until he got to Mound Street. And the last thing I want to point out is that the police report witnesses and David Brian White have stated that there were multiple fights that night. I've even had people that were there that night tell me that it was like a scene from the movie Roadhouse. 
We're going to call this witness Tom Anderson. I want to give a thank you to the actors who agreed to read the transcript. Troy Metcalf and Logan Wilmore. <clears throat> okay, uh, today's date is October 16th, 1989. Time is 2.42 p.m. This is the taped statement of in regards to the death of Jimmy Martin in the early morning hours of October the 14th, 1989. Would you please state your name for the record? My name is Date of birth, November 18th, 1966. Okay, my name is Officer Alan Stegall, Bonterre Police Department. Is there anyone else present in the room besides us? No. Okay. What I want to ask you is the death of Jimmy Wade Martin Jr. Like I said, it happened in the early morning hours of Saturday. If you would just give me the rundown on what you'd seen, what happened. Well, I seen Dave at the corner and he started this conversation about a pole. And that's how it started, the conversation. He said he was going to beat up somebody that night. I, I remember him saying him that, you know, he started following us down to that bar. I, I don't remember the name of it. The cold then? That's it. And uh, I turned around and he was standing behind me and, and I looked at his mom and I went over and started talking to her and then I went back outside and he followed me outside and then he kept telling why don't you go get your dad so I can beat him up. She finally said, all right, you know, I'll go in and get him. And then she started to go in and I followed her and he started coming in behind us and this ruckus started. I don't know what it was about, but everybody just came outside and I seen somebody just get hit in the face. I don't know who it was that got hit and there's a bunch of people were running around in circles, you know. I've seen somebody go in a car. I don't know whose car it was or anything. And I seen Dave, the guy behind him, but there was a guy in front of him. So they, they were running after this other guy. They, they went around the corner. I don't know what the name of the street was, but by that parking lot, I guess, that's the corner right there. Would it be the street right beside the parking lot of the Colbin? The Colbin. That would be Vine Street. Uh, they went around that corner. By the time I got down there, I got up against a wall. I didn't want to get hit. And uh, by, by the time I got down there, Jimmy was laying on the ground. Okay. Where did you see him laying on the ground at? Right by the side of the road, right there. I don't know if that's where he got hit or not, but that's where I seen him. And he was like by the side of the road, but in the street though. And Everybody came running down there, and uh, I didn't see Dave right after that happened because I left. Uh, in plain words, you know, I, I didn't want to get involved with it. I know the guy who got killed now. My, my dad knows his father. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, uh, okay. Did you see him laying? Was it the street beside the coal bin, or was it the street on up where he was laying? Uh, right around the corner of the street, some the only street I know, I, I don't know the street too good. In relation to the car wash, where is the street at? Uh, right across the street from the car wash. Okay, do you have, did you see David White hit? Uh, no, I didn't see him hit, get hit, or... Do you know Jimmy Martin personally? I don't know him personally, but I mean, I know, do, you, do you know him? Do you know him if you would see him? I'd know him. Yeah, I know. Him. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
And you didn't see David Whitehead jumping? No, I didn't. Well, you've seen David. I mean, let me show you a picture. This is a, a report we have on the homicide. Okay, do you recognize this man? Yeah, he was outside with one of the guys that came out of the bar. Okay, he was the one chasing Jimmy Martin? He was right behind him. Right behind him running? Yeah. Okay, what is the name on the top of that page for that picture? That's it. Okay, and he was one of them chasing Jimmy Martin. He was right behind with Dave. Dave was like the second person, like they they three was running. No. But Dave came out, Dave came out right behind him. Okay, and he ran up the street also? Yes. Okay, uh, you, you stated that you seen David White and the man in this picture as the ones chasing Jimmy Martin. Yes, sir. Okay, well, where did you lose sight of them at? When they got around, got up around that corner <clears throat> and uh, started running down the street, and by the time I got down there, see, at first I wasn't going to run down there, but I did, and then I seen what happened. I turned around and left. Okay. Was there anybody around Jim Martin's body when he got there? There was a bunch of people around him. Oh, uh -huh. There was a bunch of people yelling and screaming. And... Uh -huh. Was David White still there when you got there? When I got there, I didn't see him. I don't know if he ran back up the street or if he was in the crowd or whatever, but... Okay, was still there? I didn't see him after that. I, I didn't see him after that. But to the best of your recollection, there was only two people chasing Jimmy Martin. That's all I've seen. Go around the corner, two people chasing him. Yep. You, you don't have any idea who it was he was fighting at the bar when they came outside. No, I just seen somebody standing out there in the street with a beer. I guess when the ruckus started, everybody came out there and uh, I seen somebody pop somebody. I just, you know, all of a sudden somebody got popped. It reminds me, uh, reminds me of him that got popped. Yeah, I think it was him that okay. got popped. Okay, do you know who got, who popped him? No, I, uh -huh. I don't think. Uh, he had a hat on, I think, that night, though. Uh -huh. I know that's him because I looked right down at him when he got popped in the face, and he was going like this. That's what everybody started, you know. Did somebody hit him with their fist or with a weapon or? With their fist. It was with their fist. Okay. Had you seen... Was Jimmy Martin involved in this ruckus? Jimmy Martin, he came walking out. I didn't see him hitting nobody at first. I didn't see, you know, doing anything. Then they just went wild. I don't know what the hell. I, I don't know what happened, you know, because I wasn't in there when the ruckus started. How long was it after the altercation with and with somebody that David White chased Jimmy Martin? I'd say right about after he got hit. It was about... I mean, was it just a matter of seconds or... I'd say nine, ten minutes. So there was a pause there. Yeah. Between the... Yeah, after he got hit, somebody pulled the guy off him that hit him. Oh. 
and they were screaming back and forth and that's when i seen them go running around the corner uh, and uh, who was it that pulled the guy off i don't even know i don't know half the people from around there okay it was crowded i mean the place it was packed Really, I don't think anybody really know what went on. You know, it was just one of them things that blew up. But in, I mean, Dave, he was talking about all that stuff all night, walking down that street, and he just started scaring us, you know? Okay, uh, but no time did you ever actually see the altercation between Jimmy Martin and whoever. No, I didn't see who hit him. Okay. Did you see any kind of weapon laying around Jimmy's body when you got there, like a sidewalk or anything? Uh, I didn't walk close to him. I just walked up and I seen him laying there and everybody started running and I turned around and I didn't really want to get involved with it in plain words. And I didn't know where he went. I didn't trust him when I first saw him, when he walked up behind us coming down the street. uh, Uh, When you were standing around there did anybody make any statements as to what had happened well after it all happened i heard that somebody you know had said that jimmy got an insurance settlement that afternoon or that night uh-huh. you know for an accident this is what from what i hear that he was in an accident and he got an insurance settlement and he had had pretty much cash in his pocket. He was going home and he stopped in there just to say hi to a few people. From what I hear, Jimmy only drank two beers when he was in there, you know. Uh-huh. I don't know from the way some people say they must have overheard Jimmy talking about the insurance and some people say that they might have just been trying to take him off. That's one of the stories I heard. Okay. Did, did you see this from David White Associated any time before this happened? No. Them talking together? I just saw them when they came out, and that's when I seen him get popped in the face, uh, hit in the face. Do you have any idea what the guy looked like? Uh, no, he was... Okay. How was David White acting that night? Weird. Real weird. Because when he came, we came from my girlfriend's house, you know. She said, take a walk down. She wanted to say hi to her dad. No. Uh-huh and uh her mom and stuff uh we started down there and like i said by the lamp diner um that's when we meet up with this guy here dave you know he just started talking saying all kinds of weird stuff about he was in a cult or kkk or something and just started talking real weird he just he said he had to prove tonight kept saying that i gotta prove something tonight and it was just weird you know To me, it sounded like something like he was going to go out and do something to prove something to somebody else. That's what it seemed like to me, and I just told him, we've got to go. And that's when the officer pulled up, and I didn't see what officer it was, but he was standing right there with the beer in his hand. And uh, we walked away, and he just followed us. Uh, When I walked in, everything was fine. Everybody was having a good time and everything was all right. But then as soon as he walked in, there people came flying out the doors. Who did he go to when he walked in? Did you notice? 
right behind me. He was right behind me. And then I turned around and I, I seen him there. And then, you know, I was with my girlfriend. I said, I'm going out, you know. Oh. And then I went out. And when I was ready to go back in, and that's when the ruckus started and people came flying out the doors. And that's when I seen him get popped and, you know, hit in the face. Uh-huh. And as soon as he came out the door, he had a beer in his hand and somebody nailed him. Is that who you're talking about? Yes. When he came out of the bar with a beer, somebody nailed him. Yeah. <laughs> and then somebody pulled that guy off. Yes. I don't know who hit him or who pulled him off. Then there were two girls fighting out there. I remember that, too. Who were they? Nah, I don't know. I, I don't even know who they are. They're just two girls in a fight out front, but I don't, yeah, I don't even know who they were. What do they look like? One had long brownish hair and she wore glasses. The other one was a dirty blonde, maybe. I really didn't see because they were on the ground, you know, just going at it. And that's, as soon as they got done, that's when the ruckus started. Uh-huh. That's when it started because uh, they went back in after they got done fighting they went back in and all the other stuff started and that's when everything started going haywire. I just remember that part. There was those two girls fighting, not right in front, but down the street some. No, they fought after. No, this was before that. I just remembered that part. Oh, okay. The girls fought before. Yes, that's before anything happened to Jimmy. Oh. Uh, I just remembered that there were two girls fighting. Okay, uh, so... Uh... Let's make sure we got this straight. Two girls fought first? Yes, that's what happened first. That was the first little thing that went on. That was after you and got there and David White got there. Yeah, that's like when we walked up, they were fighting, you know? There wasn't a lot of people out there or anything. You know, they were just fighting and they got pulled off each other and everything was all right. They went back in. Then everything else started. That's when everything else went down. And we walked in, and I walked back out, and boom, stuff started. Fights and uh, okay. And uh, did you see David fighting at the bar, or out in front of the bar, or any of the bar out in he front of all, the bar? <laughs> I mean, he was all over the bar. That's when I seen him after he got hit. Dave was running around. Uh, I don't know if he was trying to pull somebody off somebody or hitting somebody. I seen Dave down crouched over like that, and he, he got back up, and then they all went over by this one car. I don't know whose car it was. Uh-huh. But it was dark, and it was by the parking lot. They went over by the car, and that's when they might have been going around the car to go down the street. Uh, they were by the car, and that's when I seen them run down the street. Uh-huh. And I didn't follow them all the way down the street. Then after a while, I went down, and I didn't go no further after. I just saw him laying there, and that's all I seen. Okay. How was Jimmy's body laying when you seen it? You, you know, just from what you could tell, the best, the best you could tell. He was either on his side or on his back. His neck was back like this. Wow. Uh, I wasn't real close. All, all I seen was him laying there. Was there any blood that you could see? I couldn't see that far. I didn't go that close to him. You wouldn't have been able to see if there was, you know. Mm. No, no. All I No, he wasn't moving, though. I didn't see him moving around or nothing at first, and I really didn't stay there. 
too long. I didn't want to get in trouble. Because I've seen you come down with the fire department first. Yeah, that's where I was. Okay. I was on, like, the road. When the rescue truck went by, how long do you think it was between then and when you went up there to see Jimmy's body? Just, you know, roughly. I, I know you can't be exact on times. Yeah. Um, from the time I left from down there and went up to where I was in Tom's Market, I'd say 15 minutes or so. Okay. About that, yeah. Okay, because like I said, you definitely see David White chasing Jimmy Martin. I did see that, yes. You're positive that those were the two. That was chasing him, correct. Okay. And how far did you see them chase him before you lost sight of him? Well, they went all the way around that corner, the street across from the car wash. Okay. The street where he was found is Mound Street. Is that the street that you're referring to? Yes. Okay. You never did see anybody actually hit Jimmy, is that right? Uh, no. Uh, I didn't see whoever hit him. I don't know which one hit him. Oh, okay. We're going to go ahead and end this statement. Uh, the time is 3.06 p.m. The date is October 16, 1989. Has anybody else entered the room during this statement? No. No one has. Okay. Are you under the influence of alcohol or drugs at this time? No, I ain't. Okay. Thanks for your statement. Before we talk about this, I want to bring your attention to the person who this witness, our Tom Anderson, says was also chasing Jimmy Wade. This is the same person who was in the police report as having been arrested that weekend and then let go. We are still protecting his identity, so I will refer to him as Shane Hill from here on out. When I first read a statement, I try to read it as if I believe everything that is being said is true. In this interview, Tom Anderson did not seem to have a high opinion of David White, that is for sure but he did not seem to have seen David throw any punches or wield any timber. Tom does establish that at least parts of David White's story line up with his. Tom does corroborate that there were two girls fighting before Shane Hill was hit. And although David Brian White didn't know who Shane Hill was, he did describe a man getting hit and hit a lot. And we can presume that he meant Shane. The part where David and Tom's stories don't match up is that Tom didn't seem to think it was David who pulled the attacker off of Shane. It seemed like Shane and David were in the same vicinity near Tom, but maybe Tom just couldn't see them too well, and it was David who pulled the unknown fighter off of Shane. Or maybe David lied about being the hero. And then there's the part of Shane chasing Jimmy Wade. He was just popped, as they say, and repeatedly if someone had to be pulled off of him. Now would a man who was just beaten to the point of needing to be saved, be inclined, or even be able to chase Jimmy Wade? Or was Jimmy Wade the person who did the popping? The truth is in here somewhere, but who is telling it? The simplest path to the truth is to talk to David Brian White, but the path to talk to David Brian White turned out not to be simple at all. I'm trying to think what year I moved back here because it started in 2007 when we really started doing a lot of work but I didn't really all I kept thinking is what would it be like to talk to this guy 
I wonder how I could get in contact with this guy. Well, back then you didn't have Facebook. I don't even think I had a cell phone at that time, actually. And it's like, how do you get in contact? And I just always imagine what I would say if I ever did. These would be the questions I would ask. So I never really got like this feeling that he had anything to do with it, except when he had had his mom to take him to the hospital and they he asked how the guy that got hit was and they said that he had passed he actually passed out in the hospital floor so to me if you're not guilty why would that why would you pass out like that's the only thing that ever stood out in my mind that he had that he was even ever guilty so you guys have been have talked with David White several times how did how did that come about? What's that conversation like? You touched on it, but <laughs> well, well <laughs> go ahead. We had went to the crime scene and met someone who knew exactly where it happened, and we were just looking around, you know. And that evening, it just seemed to get me more motivated. So I was like, I am just going to contact everybody. Because on Facebook, I couldn't determine who he was. But I think he had more than one Facebook account. Right. So I just started messaging people. Finally, his sister answered me. That night, actually. Because normally it takes forever for someone to answer me. And she's like, let me just get you in contact with his daughter. So didn't she tell you, though? Because you called me and you're like, you're never going to believe this. That David White's sister said, all I know is that my brother passed out because he thought he killed someone. The next day, they showed him a picture of your dad. And he said, that is not the guy I hit. Mm -hmm. And so then it kind of put in perspective what, you know, she had, she said that's the only thing that bothered her. And you think about it, if you hit someone and you thought you killed them, you probably would pass out. You know, your life is over. Mm -hmm. And so go ahead. So I get in contact. His daughter ended up calling me. Sweetheart. We end up getting along great. She, she said, I'm going to see him Saturday. Come with me. So Saturday morning, we meet her. And we're in the lobby just talking like we're just been friends for years. Like, she's very approachable. She's very personable. Um, always willing to help. You know, she just, we just hit it off with her. After we went to the jail, um, we actually took her to lunch and had lunch. And then later on that night, we went to her house. So we had a whole day with her. <laughs> and it had to be surreal. Yes. Very. And... I think it was even, she she didn't meet her father until she was 18. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we walk into that jail knowing he did not know we were coming. And he didn't know who we were. Yeah. So we walk in with her and I, my heart was pounding. I was like, what if he doesn't talk to us? That was my biggest well, fear. Well, Angela was standing on the left of me and I was like, because I get, I was really eyeing up what was going on. Because you could only hear what she was saying. Not right. the phones. Yeah, and the glass. And I'm like, he ain't gonna talk to us. 
And I'm thinking, should I just go grab that phone from out of her hand right now and be like, hey, just let me say what I need to say. You know, I'm like, how, what's my next step if he doesn't want to? So I heard her say, dad, they don't think that you did this. And or she said, dad, they want answers just like I want answers whenever we were yeah, trying to find I each other. Yeah, and I don't think they think that you did this or something like that. So when we started talking, um, it was really strange because I was so nervous but yet so excited and I mean we had been waiting for this day for so long for so long but then when you're face to face nothing in my body my soul told me he did it mm -mm. No. I, had, I had three pages of questions and I started talking to him first and I'm like I'm in detective mode at this point you know, and I'm like, do you recognize this man? <laughs> you yeah, know, like, we were like holding pictures up, or I was holding the pictures up, and she was drilling them um, like a yeah I'm drill like, sergeant. I, okay, I know I don't have, have much time. Let's just do this. Let's do this, and let's get answers. You know, as fast as we can. But it was uh, we were so exhausted. Yeah, that was not the man I hit. That's what David said. And that's why he pleaded innocent. That's why he didn't say it was self-defense. He didn't even think he hit Jimmy Wade at all. If what he is saying is true, how relieved he must have been. And yet there he was in jail, arrested for a crime that he didn't commit, even accidentally. I talked to Mariah too, and she is exactly as the twins described. Um, my name is Mariah I am David Brian White's daughter. I had been searching for my dad. He was in prison on and off um, pretty much my whole life. I lived with my grandparents. And whenever I turned 18, I decided I was going to go look for him. And the same day that I went looking for him, he actually found me. Um, and we met up that evening at like 9 o'clock, and we ended up talking until 2 o'clock in the morning. Um, and he actually... He told me about, hold on, sorry. Oh, that's okay. He told me about that, uh, the case, uh, that night, I want to say it was either that night or the very next day, because I had asked him, I'm like, you know, give me all the reasons why you haven't been able to be a part of my life. I want to know all of the answers because I've been left in the dark pretty much my whole life. Um, and that was one of the things that he told me, um, was that he dealt with um, a murder case that he did not do um, and that it was a very confusing situation and um, that apparently nobody got justice for anything. And I, I didn't really hear that much about it after that for a while um, until I got to sit down and meet my grandma and talk to my grandma. And she told me his whole side of the story. Did you and him ever... Other than the first time you met, you said that he had mentioned the, the murder charge. In the years following, did you guys have any conversations about that, about Jimmy's murder? Um, I mean, a little bit. He never really talked to me much about it. Um, it always it always made him very upset. Uh, it kind of, I don't know if it was very triggering and kind of traumatizing to him. Tell me about meeting Andrea and Angela. <laughs> what that was like and how, how that came about. My Aunt Teresa messaged me and was like, hey, some lady is 
talking to me about your dad. I was like, okay. Uh, she's like, she wants to meet him. I was like, oh, oh? well, does she know that he's currently in jail? <laughs> and she was like, yeah, I'm just going to give you her information and you can talk to her. I was like, okay. So I messaged her and I was just like, hey, I messaged Andrea. And I was like, hey, uh, my dad's David. <laughs> and she was like, can you give me a call? And gave me her number. So I called her and instantly we started making plans from the moment I got on the phone. We started making plans on then that Saturday, um, going and seeing my dad on a visit and being able to sit down and talk to him. And so that Saturday we went, we met up there and I mean, it was like we hadn't been friends our whole lives. <laughs> our, our friendship just instantly went and we had a good time. We ended up going out to eat afterwards. She got some uh, questions that she had and her sister had personally answered by him as much as he could talk right then. And uh, yeah, and then afterwards we went out and we had lunch together and all got to hang out and kind of talk over like the big binders that they have and all of their information that they already have compared to what I could possibly give to them. Sure. <laughs> and uh, I thought, because I have a bunch of my dad's um, totes that are full of like letters from my mom from whenever he was locked up back from 1989 to 2001. I have a bunch of letters from my mom to him. And I was like, maybe I also have some documents and maybe those documents could be for the case. And so they ended up coming over to my house that night <laughs> and they helped me go through all of my mom's letters and kind of compare names. And, um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it was instant. We just all clicked and got along and now we talk to each other like weekly and just check in and <laughs> give updates on our crazy lives. Right. So when, when you think your dad thought when, when you introduced the girls, um, he was very nervous. He was very nervous because in his eyes, you know, everybody's after him. Everybody doesn't like him, you know, and they, he was scared. They thought he did it whenever he knows deep down he didn't. And so it was, it was nerve wracking <laughs> to just kind of throw on him. Cause I hadn't talked to him before I went to go to the visit at all. So he had no idea they were coming. So it was kind of a surprise. <laughs> so like I sat down and I was like, Hey dad, so, uh, Jimmy Martin, remember him? he's like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, you're his kids. And he's like, what? what? What do you mean? And I'm like, surprise. They want to talk to you. Don't worry. Everything's okay. And he's like, well, I, I, don't, I don't know what they're wanting to talk to me about. What do they want to talk to me about? And I was like, well, listen, there's a lot going on right now. And it's just, it's really big. And they just want your help. And he was like, okay. Um, well, I'll try, but... I don't know. <laughs> I was like, it's okay, Dad. Just trust me on it. And he was like, I trust you, baby. I was like, okay. And he is very good about being honest with me um, and being genuine with me all the time and letting me see his raw. He's he's very rough around the edges. <laughs> and he doesn't trust just anybody. Uh, yeah, he always made sure to be like, hey, listen, you know, like, I, I just want to tell you, like, no matter what you hear, you have to trust me. You know, you need to trust me. You need to understand, like, I am not this bad guy. And I'm just like, Dad, I know. <laughs> like, I I know you're not this bad guy. And so, yeah, and it ended up being a good visit. Letting me see his raw, she said. 
Mariah, his long-lost daughter. Is David Brian White a good actor? Or is he self-deluded? Mariah believes him. It has been over 30 years, and David Brian White still maintains that he did not hit Jimmy Wade. Um, so the story that we understood was there was, um, my Uncle Marty was actually taking his girlfriend home that night, and he went by the bar in Terre and he said, there was probably 50 people fighting. There was fights everywhere. And he, he was trying to describe it, and I'm like, like a riot? He was like, yeah. He goes, it was crazy. So he, you know, went on home. And so from, from what reading the, the newspapers and the police reports that David White was walking by um, because he was at his brother's house and he was walking to his mother's house. Um, he, he just got out of prison. Mm-hmm. He was young. He was from... Fredericktown or Potosi or somewhere like that. And then um, he had just gotten out of prison and he was going to stay with his mom because that was like, I guess, where he was going to go. And so he didn't really know anybody. He was just walking. So David White come up on someone getting beat up and he said, I think he's had enough. And he said, next thing I know, three guys are chasing me. One of them had a baseball bat. So it was... Um, you know, up the street and around the corner where it took place. And David White said he was running. And whenever he, there's a ledge, um, like the sidewalk had a ledge, and he jumped up on the ledge um, and he fell down. And he said, they were coming at me. Um, And he didn't know any of these men who were chasing him. He just said one of them had a baseball bat. So he picked up the landscaping timber from the yard and he said he he held it out and just started going in circles and he hit someone he said circles and kind of like a side to side motion yeah and that's actually what i was going to say well ago about the autopsy you yeah. know just some of it just didn't make sense but but um so he said it was too heavy to pick up he said it was he could a, only swing it he could only swing it he couldn't go you know the motion going above your head he could only go because it was so heavy it was a landscaping timber that was like four foot long um so he said he hit someone and um he dropped it he looked over the person because he didn't know their condition and even in the police report it says that he glanced at the person and thought oh no he's hurt he's hurt and ran Ran home. home As we investigated more and more and what the evidence was leading us to, my first interaction with him was nothing like I imagined. Mm -mm. Did you ask him if he did it? Oh, yeah. You asked David Brian Mm White? And what did he say? He said, whenever I picked up that timber, I did not pick it up to kill somebody. I picked it up to get them off me. I said, okay, how are you swinging it? Because I already, we'd already studied the coroner's report, the Right, autopsy. and we got Jim Copeland and that, we hadn't got the preliminary hearing yet. Right. Because 
it was confirmed then that the the um, one that was kind of like right here up what do you call that like the here, vertical yeah that one um, we it wasn't confirmed but that's why we got it re-looked at because it didn't make any sense to me I didn't feel like right that's why we got the second opinion so I said, are you sure you did not swing this over your head and down? He Be said, no, I couldn't even pick it up. He said it was four feet long. It was heavy. And my main goal was not to hit someone to kill them or hurt them. I just wanted them off of me. And I could, whenever we went to the where it happened, there was like a sidewalk stepped up. So you, I, I knew exactly what he was talking about when he said that he tripped up. And I left there with like... A piece of I think we've always wondered why he was brought into the why his name was mentioned or why he admitted it but then once you hear the real story or where the evidence leads you um, I left there at peace knowing that he didn't do it mm-hmm it was just like it's been confirmed. Yeah. That, you know, David White was not a part of this. He was a part of a fight, but sure. not a part of that fight. I listened to the twins and to Mariah, and I think they could be right. That David didn't do it. Or at least that David doesn't want to have done it so badly that he's convinced himself that he didn't do it. And then I think about what Dr. Zarekor said. That the evidence suggested that someone hit Jimmy Wade from behind, knocked him out, and while he was out, hit him on the forehead three more times. The point is that the evidence doesn't match with David's story of self-defense. I also think about how the twins point out how difficult it would be to hit someone, even someone who is standing still, in the same place, three times, with a piece of heavy landscape timber. Oh yeah, in the dark. But then I think about the simplest explanation theory again. What are the odds that David Brian White hit some unknown person, knocked him down, and then ran off only to have Jimmy Wade be knocked down by his killer, presumably minutes later, in the same area? I mean, is it possible? Sure. There were multiple fights that night, but how? I need to hear from David Brian White. What's up, True Crime Podcast listener? Hope you're enjoying Small Town Forgotten, a podcast that takes place in my hometown of Bonterre, Missouri. Whenever you need a break from the true crime genre, come on over and see us at Mostly Superheroes, a podcast that discusses TV and film, old and new, Things like Airplane or Game of Thrones, we talk about it all. Come see us at MostlySuperheroes.com and listen where you get your podcast. Enjoy the rest of the show. This call is from a correctional facility and may be monitored and recorded. Some stuff I've been thinking about that you know, came to mind, plus my fellow talking to me about it. You know, I've been talking to him about it. Just different stuff, trying to remember different things that... I'm hoping whenever I listen to the podcast, I get some answers and then, you know, maybe 
my God, maybe maybe something to come to mind or, you know, and refresh my memory about things because I didn't know nobody. You know, I was only in town for 14 hours. Didn't have a clue who any of the people were, none of them that chased me or nothing, you know. This has really troubled me for years now. They, whenever they came and picked me up, I was in Pacific prison. And whenever they came and picked me up, they, uh, DOC didn't want to replicate me and put me in prison for being charged for that. So they, uh, after I talked to the investigators in Fulton, they, you know, they were, you know, they sat there prayed with me. And then after that, I went, Everybody, it seemed like everybody thought I was crazy because of what I told them about your dad come to me in my dream. And, and this call is from a correctional facility and may be monitored and recorded. And telling me that everything was going to be okay, that I was going to be released. Even my mom thought I was nuts, you know, and they just, just nobody believed me, you know. And so whenever I got the, whenever I left, I left from Fulton, they sent me to Pacific, and about a week later, if that, maybe two or three days later, they released me, with James Kellogg and Rosemary Kellogg came and picked me up. This is what I found real trouble. For years, it just drove me nuts. Um, they knew who this is that done this, because they told me in the car, they said, why are you taking the fall for this? You know, are you really going to take the fall for this? You know, it's like like they knew who, who it was, but but why didn't they charge nobody else? No, I mean, was it because I was in an out-of-towner and they just seen an easy way out? Or what, you know, why me? You know what I mean? Why did they single me out? Why are they still singling me out? And not doing the right thing, you know what I mean? And getting, you know, and, and arresting the right guy, you know? Or guys, I mean, I mean that was brutal. You know what I mean? I, I, my God, honey, I don't know. Man, I, it, it it just breaks my heart. That my Jesus, it, it, I know what it did to me mentally. What it's doing to you guys, I have no clue. But my God, it was bad. It was bad. To blame me for that when they knew along, all along, they knew, I know they knew who it was, but why did they not go after that person? Why? Why? My attorney and my attorney and the prosecuting attorney came and they, I can't remember if they took me to the hospital, if the sheriff's department took me to the hospital or if they did it right there, but they drew my blood. You know, and they drew my blood, I, I guess for DNA, um, and then that, then I was released. This is a blessing to me, you know, just you guys letting me be involved and, you know, putting our heads together and figuring this out. That's enough. That's enough for me. That's, um, you don't owe me anything, honey. Neither one of you. You just don't owe me nothing, you know. Uh, I've been wanting this done for years, it's, uh, but I've been, I'm alone. This call is from a correctional facility and may be monitored and recorded. So you still mean, I, I just want you to know, you don't owe me nothing, you know. I, 
you're doing enough for me by letting me be involved and letting us come together and, and, and get it get it fixed. That's that's the bottom line. David Brian White has had a rough life. But it's not the purpose of this podcast to speculate on the causes of his misfortunes. He's certainly not the first person in St. Francis County to be in and out of the prison system. The purpose is to determine if David Brian White is telling the truth about what happened on that night in October in 1989. If we can eliminate him as a suspect, it would be huge for the investigation. David Brian White told the twins that he wants to help and that he is thankful to be a part of the crusade. But how far is he willing to go to help us? I have my own doubts and I have my own questions. I need to talk to him myself. Next time on Small Town Forgotten, I meet David Brian White. I've been waiting for this and hoping for this for years. Well, it, it says a lot that you would uh, that you would take the time just to to speak with the girls for one, but me especially. Small Town Forgotten is presented by Blueburn Productions, writer and executive producer Vanessa Martin, creative and executive producer Ashton Holsey, director and executive producer Sean Lee Martin, and myself. Small Town Forgotten is produced in association with Vagrant Media Productions, Brett Wiley, Jake Delaloy, Caleb Cook. Podcast distribution and digital strategy by Logan Janis with Kerrigan Ventures. Original music written and performed by Todd Holsey. For more information, please visit smalltownforgotten.com. Please like, follow, and subscribe on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Special thanks to the twins, Andrea and Angela, for their perseverance. I'm your host, Chris Holsey. Thanks for listening to Small Town Forgotten.